Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Maroos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. More than ever, create an organization that responds to customer needs, cares for and inspires employees, embraces purpose, emphasizes diversity, equity, and inclusion, and helps the firm become future ready, all boiled down to one thing, leadership. While conversations about the importance of a disruptive mindset started well before the pandemic, the crisis accelerated significantly since then. The question becomes, how ready is existing leadership to lead an organization to success during uncertain times? My guest in the Banking Transform podcast today is Charlene Lee, the Chief Research Officer for PA Consulting. Charlene shares how leadership can better embrace change, accept risks, and help organizations become more future ready. If there is ever any doubt about the importance of a banking leader's role to navigate change, uncertainty, disruption, the pandemic, and recent economic uncertainties, you know, obviously now more than ever is clear, legacy leaders need to embrace change take risks, and disrupt themselves and their organizations. You know, Charlene Lee is the author of the book, The Disruption Mindset, and an expert on the way leadership must prepare for change that is happening today and happening faster than ever before. She first joined our show in February of 2020, before the world was completely upended by the pandemic. So, Charlene, welcome to the show. You know, it's been a while. You know, I think you were here the beginning of 2020, and a lot has happened since then, to say the least. You know, what were the biggest changes that you saw occur in the field of leadership since early 2020 when we we last met? And what are the biggest challenges today, and are they any different than they were back in 2020? Oh, my goodness. Thinking back two and a half years now, Leadership looked really different because it, it was the same as it had been for eons. Uh, there was authority, prestige placed into the leader. Um, the leader dictated how things weren't. Um, the relationship was very much a command and control. And sure, people were getting more collaborative. People were being more vulnerable, emotional about things. Um, but it was still pretty much the same kind of leadership and the kind of relationship. The COVID um, pandemic came along and we literally got everything turned upside down. And we started seeing people in the most intimate settings. We saw each other's in, in each other's homes, in each other's bedrooms. You can't get more intimate than that. <laughs> and, uh, and people started opening up in new and different ways. And it fundamentally changed the relationship. And you saw what happened when people started going back to work in 2022, returned to office and people were like, no, we don't want this. We, we, we want a different type of relationship, not just physically working in the same place, but also the type of relationship we want to have with our leaders, with our corporations, was very different. And people wanted to go back to what we were at the beginning of 2020 when we talked, and they're like, no. So we saw the great resignation happening. Like, we're not having this anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting because it wasn't just the pandemic and not just the working from home, but we saw changes in social issues. We've seen changes in the whole dynamic of, as you mentioned, the the whole great recognition, the the level of, of talent we have to go after. But at the same time, 
we have a dynamic where organizations are not necessarily not making money. So the pain is coming from a different place than traditionally it came from. Usually in the past, leadership felt pain when the numbers weren't making it. But now this, the, the job is so much more involved and involves so many different things, not the least of which is the fact that many leaders are not prepared educationally for a lot of the digital dynamics that are going pl taking place in the marketplace. So, you know, it, it, we're, we're in a situation where tenured leadership have vast experience. Is that an asset, a liability, or is there a blend in the new world? I think it's still a huge asset to have experience because I'd much rather take an experienced leader and teach them the new ways they have to work, uh, digital, emotional vulnerability, um, being, being able to have a different type of relationship with people, but they still have that underpinning of what it means to be a leader. That is so much easier than taking a 20-something who is very facile with all the technology and teaching them how to be a good leader. That's infinitely harder. Yeah. Because you've had all those dynamics, those experiences of being a leader. You've had all the failures of being a leader that you can draw upon and that, that a, a new leader doesn't have. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because I, I've said it in previous podcasts and in some writings that, you know, we have this dynamic in the banking industry, as we do in every industry, that a lot of organizations are still run by a group of, not to cut to the chase a little bit here, but a group of white men that play golf together as management trainees 20 to 30 years ago. They've added more dynamics to the leadership team, but They've also been successful since the beginning of time. How do you get leaders to embrace change when in their minds, in many ways, nothing's broken? Well, the thing is, they have to see that things are broken. And I think that's what the Great Resignation did, is when they were losing people left and right across all levels, they go, wait a minute, what, what's, what's going on? And they, they, they kind of blamed it on people not wanting to work because they had subsidies. They blamed it on, um, you know, the ongoing effects of the pandemic. They never looked at themselves to say maybe they were the problem, that their type of leadership, their approach, um, like take it or leave it. People said, yeah, I'm leaving it. I'm out of here. I've got better options. And they didn't understand that because things were so good economically, the economy was going great. The war of talent absolutely still existed. They were living in some sort of fantasy world that no, people are going to be loyal to me forever, even if I treat them badly. What kind of world does that exist in? So people realize, no, I've got lots of options. I can go work for myself. There's lots of opportunity out there. I think especially during the pandemic, people, there's a lot of people that understood, I can do new things because they had a little bit more freedom. They were at home. They were able to, you know, the internet gives you the ability to change anything. I mean, I know this podcast pretty much started with the pandemic and certainly continued through it. But my business model completely changed. I know your business model completely changed when you look at this. You know, when you look at that overall and, and you look at leaders that grew up, let's say, in a different way, how do you get them to understand how different yet the same digital transformation is as, as banking industry, but virtually every industry really had to we're force-fed into the digital world with the pandemic. How do we build that level of understanding so that leaders can lead in areas that they may not totally understand? 
Well, the, the thing is, is that I feel that the definition of leaders are people who are um, there to create change. That's what leaders do is create change. And if you're not creating change, then you're not a leader, you're a manager of the status quo. And what we actually have in many industries and many organizations are managers who are very comfortable and very good at managing the status quo, keeping things the same. And that's that's the bailiwick of what most people do. But a true leader says, oh, where are the opportunities to change, to improve, to grow personally, organizationally, for our employees? How do we grow? How do we change? And those leaders have a much easier time adapting to the new realities because they're looking around constantly, constantly saying, how can we improve? And the leaders who have a hard time with any sort of transformation, any sort of change are ones who like, I like things to stay exactly the way they are because I'm comfortable with that. They don't have the growth mindset. They don't look at things with a child's mind, with a beginner's mind, because they are comfortable and insecure about having to try new things and failing. So the top leaders don't think about not succeeding as failing. They think about it as learning. It's a very different mindset. You know, it's interesting with COVID, but even more now with the economy changing and having probably more uncertainty about the economy that we've had in, you know, 20 years. I mean, there's there's whole generations that haven't seen in their mind, in their adulthood, a bad economy. You know, one of the keys of your book was that organizations need to focus on future customers. Is it now even going beyond that? And and not just future customers from an acquisition standpoint, but they really have to look at the future to know, you know, to make estimations as to where things are going. Because change is happening so quickly that if you look at where it is today, it won't be there 12 months from now. Right. I, I think I, I use the word future customers as a proxy for future because it's hard for people to just grasp the future in general. It's a lot easier to say, okay, who are my future customers going to be? Who am I going to have my revenues, the survival of my company, of my business? And uh, because if I don't have customers in the future, we will go out of business. And it's the same thing if, whether you're a nonprofit or a bank or any sort, even the government. If you do not serve your future constituents and stakeholders and customers, you will be voted out of office, you won't have customers, you won't have any constituents at all. So thinking about the future and what that looks like, that environment of what you will be operating in, having a point of view of that and then taking the actions today is really, really difficult because of what I talked about before. I might be wrong. What if I make the wrong bet? How am I gonna stake things on this? What happens if I'm mistaken? What if I fail? So I'm not gonna go there to the future. I'm just gonna stay here with the present that I know and I love my happy customers. They're profitable. They love me, I love them. Why should I change anything? Well, the reality is, is when you look at the reality, when you're truly being mindful and present with what the present is telling you, you realize my current customers are leaving. My current customers are not going to be here tomorrow, potentially. So I've got to look at that reality and deal with it. You know, that's such an important point, Charlene, because in the banking world, it's hard to to stop being a customer, to move your account relationship. What we have seen, though, is with all the new competitors, with all the changes that happen, with people moving to digital channels and maybe their bank not supporting them as well as they'd like them to, what's happening is customers aren't necessarily leaving but they're multiplying the number of relationships they have. So 
while there may not be attrition in the tr- traditional sense, they're not getting the new business. If, if we tell organizations, they've got to look at where the transfers are going because they're using brand new organizations that didn't even exist three or four years ago. And so, as you said, you, you may not be losing the accounts, but you may be losing or having the relationships at risk. You know, when we look at your book, Disruption Mindset, you know, it came out at an, an amazing time because it was before disruption was an everyday word and words like pivot and uh, transformation became, you know, the, the, the cliche words during the pandemic. Is there any part of your book today that maybe didn't stand the test of time as well as you thought? Or is there part of your book that you really thought, man, I didn't realize how well I was nailing it until something big like the pandemic happened? Right. I, I mean, I think the fundamental guts of the book are still relevant. I mean, I, I've been thinking about issuing a second edition um, of it to take into account the the, the the pandemic. I wrote an additional forward just electronically. Uh, but looking back now, it's it's even more important. I think the culture part in particular about how do you change culture? Because we saw cultures changing literally in front of our eyes, literally overnight because of the requirements of what COVID made us do. We shut our doors, stuffed everyone back in their homes, and it's like, okay, we're going to work in a completely different way now. I mean, we got so many lessons on how quickly people can change. If anything, the pandemic shows us that we can weather huge amounts of disruption and be okay. We should have a tremendous amount of confidence now. And, And I define confidence now as not knowing that you're going to be right. It's knowing that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. That is such a cool statement. Go on, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that hit, that resonated so much. Right. And if the, these traditional managers who have a hard time with change think about it that way, maybe I may not be right, I may not be successful, but I'll be okay. My team will be okay. And if I spread that confidence, Uh, with myself and then with my team. And we do this over and over again. Again, what I see is that organizations are much more disruptive now. It's it's interesting. When I ask people in the book, rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, how capable are you of creating disruption, managing, and and, um, transforming? And people like, you know, five, six, seven. Now it's six, seven, eight, nines. Because we just did it. And I have so much more confidence that, yeah, if I could make it through the pandemic and I could do all of that, I can do this little thing here. And yet we go back to organizations now and we, we talk about the transformation plans. Like, oh, we can't do that. We can't change that quickly. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What did you do in March and April of 2020? Oh, you're like, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. We could do that. I go, if you did that, I mean, think about the things you intentionally could do versus having it be done to you. Because reality is, it's being done to you again. You're just not aware of it. Your customers are changing. Your employees are changing. Your supply chain is definitely completely disrupted. So how come you're not changing at that speed? Uh, I was in a, in a meeting the other day, and, and the team was like, okay, so when should we get together again? Should we get together in a month? I'm like, no, the work that we're going to do is going to take like three days. Why don't we meet in three days? You know, that kind of mindset is is it, this is a different way of thinking. It's a different pace. And the environment requires that we, we operate in this way. So I'm, I'm very keen on us practicing mindfulness and not that meditation and doing yoga. Mindfulness is being really clearly aware of what's going on right now. 
and being aware of that and being able to focus on the issues without any judgment, without that emotional baggage of what happened in the past or thinking about what's going to happen in the future, being able to see exactly what's going on, the truth of what's going on, the reality of it, without any judgment so that you can make the right decisions to focus on the right things. That's so amazing, Charlene, because in the banking world, you know, or in any world, if anybody had said, okay, starting Monday, everybody's going to work remotely, three-quarter, no, nine-tenths of the organization said there's no way we can do it. At the same time, in the banking world, if they were told they would have to put a product on the street on Monday where the government introduces it to them on a Friday, everybody would have said, we can't do anything that quickly. And yet they did. So we all have case studies we can go back to and go, as you said, you know, it, you know, it, it will be okay. And, and, and it's so interesting because some organizations embrace that reality, those case studies. Others still fight and go, we got by that. We don't have to do that again. You know, it's interesting, the podcast interviews I do and in the research we do, we continually, more than ever, can tell almost from the outset of a conversation whether or not the leadership of the organization we're interviewing has really got a future mindset, has, has embraced change, or if they're still fighting it. You, you can tell by the enthusiasm of the person we're meeting with, who we're talking to, the things they're doing. And it's interesting because more and more, the success of an organization is really being determined by the leadership overall. But if an organization isn't there, how do they impact their leadership? Let's say you're not above the person that you have to change, you're below. How can a person embrace that and work to, to make it better? Every leader has, worth their salt, has a few goals, three major goals that they're trying to accomplish. You, your job is to learn what those three goals are and to introduce change as a way to accomplish those three goals. Because if it's not on their objective list, it's not a priority for them, they won't care. So you've got to introduce the idea of change around things that they care about because it's really difficult to shift somebody away from that focus because they believe with all of their heart, all of their being, that this is how success is going to be done. So if that's the way, then you can, well, I've got a better way, a new way of doing this. And you inch it in and because, hey, you're trying to accomplish the same goal. We're aligned. We're trying to achieve the same objective, but I see a different way of achieving it. Why don't we give it a try? If you try little things, right, just a little bit outside of their comfort zone, they might bite. And then you can push a little bit further and further. And so we do this with people who may not be comfortable with change underneath us. We can do this managing up too as well. It is a very special skill. But expecting somebody to go from zero change to huge amounts of change, it, that's not the way that humans are. We like our comfort zone. We like being close to home. And but we also all want to grow. We all want to change. We want to succeed. So understanding what motivates that leader, getting in into their psyche is a really key thing. You know, it's interesting, Charlene. We've seen it across the, the industries that finding new talent and upskilling current talent is probably more important than ever on every level, not only leadership, but digital transformation, all the other elements. You know, we also are seeing that people make their decision on whether to join a company based on the leadership and what they're accomplishing. So how can leadership impact the ability 
to get and keep the best employees. I know you've written about this. You know, you have a great um, post on LinkedIn on a regular basis. And one of the things you talk about is, you know, you can't do that, that hard push top down form of leadership anymore. It's not going to fly. But how else can organizations, leaders really make it so their, their, their people want to embrace the, the changes that they have to do to upskill and even to be able to acquire new talent? Right. Um, so first of all, the, the, the purpose of a leader, again, is to create change. But you inspire people to follow you. You can't force them to follow you. You aspire to create change as a leader, and then you inspire people to follow you. That's it. That's a relationship. And when you begin thinking about it as a relationship, then people will come gravitate towards you. And, and the most important thing, I think, is to impart onto people, your employees, that they have agency. For the longest time now, companies have been saying, you're responsible for your career. But then we don't give them the tools. We don't give them the space to actually pursue that. As a leader, you can say, look, I want you to be successful. Whether you're successful here at the organization, we hope we can continue that for a long time. But even if your path resides someplace else, I'm going to help you find that next job if we can provide that growth to you. I mean, what leader actually says that? What organization says, we're here to help you be personally successful? And as long as we're alive, you're going to work here. If you're not, if we're not, if our paths are taken different places, we're going to wish you the best of luck. And we're going to help you find that next position. In return, we have asked you to help us find your replacement and train them. No more two-week notices here. That's a very different type of relationship. And imagine how different that would be. You know, it's interesting because you're right. It's a different kind of relationship. Also, there's so many elements that come into it. You just referenced it. But, you you know, not only do people want to work remotely more, but in addition, a lot of employees realize it's not just about the paycheck. That if if they, they, they're digging deeper into organization to say, is this an organization where I, I'm empowered to succeed, as you mentioned, and, you know, for lack of a better term, where it's also fun. It's meaningful. I mean, one of the questions we just did in my company uh, was to ask people, uh, I find the work meaningful. You know, it's not that I love my job, but I find it meaningful that I feel like I have an impact, that I'm changing things, that I'm aligned with the purpose of the organization. We test for all these things. And it's one of our highest scoring areas um, for our employees. And we love that, right? Because that says we're aligned in our purpose and that we're, we're matched and aligned. And we also are trying to figure out, like, what do people want to do, develop uh, both skills in the work, but also onwards. And so helping people be aware of that, what are the possibilities, giving them the opportunities inside and outside the organization. So I have a personal practice as a leader that if somebody's been working with me for two years, I encourage them to go out and do informational interviews. Yeah. You know, to just go out there and, and they may be curious about something else in their life, in their professional life. Maybe curious about doing something different. Like, please go pursue that with my blessing. Because one of two things is going to happen. They're going to realize their path lies someplace else, or they're going to realize what I have right now is absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to sign up double down on what I have. No, there's going to be no more doubt. There's no more curiosity that's out there. I have itch that scratch and I've scratched that itch. <laughs> and, um, oh, yeah. I, yeah, they, they, and they, they, they're, they're so grateful to the organization to be completely supportive of them. I, I think about this thing about knowing somebody, um, 
that you are seen and heard and understood accurately, that I can bring my full self, all of my beautiful, flawed self to work and be seen in that way. And it's a form of intimacy. And what it means is, into me, I see. Into me, you see. You see me. And when that happens, you think about the best day of work, the best projects, the best teams you worked for. There was this level of intimacy between the team members with each other and with the overall purpose of what you're trying to do. We trusted each other. We had each other's back. We celebrated our wins. We mourned our losses and picked ourselves up, slapped each other on the back and said, let's keep going. That is a great place to be because I'm part of my tribe and I can be fully myself and seen. That's what we want. We, in the deep down way of thinking, our work is our tribe and we want that. And when we don't get it, it's just a paycheck. And sure, it works, but what if it could be more? What if it could be more? So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So today I'm joined by Charlene Lee, Chief Research Officer of PA Research. We have been discussing the importance of forward-looking leadership and the concept of a disruptive mindset. You know, so Charlene, sometimes it takes a case study to understand what you're talking about. And I'm going to make a little pivot here and talk a little bit about your personal journey. You know, in preparation for this uh, podcast, I realize you've spent a long time building a business in the past at Altimeter. And, And over the past several months, you've moved to a new firm. At the same time, you moved yourself physically from one house to another and downsized. And in reading your posts on LinkedIn, that again, I, I recommend everybody go to them. You talk about the fact that this was, it's not an easy process. It takes a disruptive mindset. It takes resetting your expectations. And it takes embracing change more than anything else. And, and you did it at a time that you know, we have economic issues. We still have COVID issues. You know, what allowed you or what enabled you to make so many changes at a time of so much uncertainty? And what did you learn in that process? I'll tell you, I, I went away a year ago on a meditation retreat and uh, because I was dealing with all these changes. And there had been a, a year and a half into COVID. And I went, you know, I need a reset. And I went away and really did a lot of work. I do these retreats um, on a fairly regular basis. And um, one of the things that came back was I really needed to change the work that I do. I needed to um, just downsize my life and my family. Um, I also got uh, very focused on my self-care, lost like 30 pounds over the past year. Can't see that on the Zoom or anything, but I'm talking about it on on the voice. But yeah, I I started getting really, really healthy and exercising and eating well, which is honestly the hardest thing to do is that personal transformation. We all want to be healthier. It is so, so difficult to do. And I found it actually, since I was doing all this change, I might as well just keep changing all of it. Um, And it was a huge amount of change over the past year. Uh, And it all kind of supported each other, for me at least. And the thing that kept me going was my vision of what the future could look like. I just painted this vision of having more impact in all areas of my life. And in order to do that, I needed to just really focus. I um, took, threw away like vast majority of my stuff, gave it away, sold it away, gave it to people. So downsized from a family home down to a small apartment. 
uh, it's nice because instead of having everything spread across four floors of a Victoria, it's now <laughs> on one floor in like a small space and everything. Um, and and then I'm aiming towards just putting it all away and and um, and actually just traveling for quite a bit. Um, something I call the four bin life: put everything into four big plastic bins, and that's my life. So that's what I'm aiming for at some point to really be completely minimalist. And what is it that I really need? Because I realized I don't need that much to be happy. I don't need that much to be able to accomplish the things that I want to do in my life. And so, yeah, I've been rapidly, even now, keep downsizing and getting rid of things and trying to think about how can I move into a smaller apartment even and eventually into four bins. And um, the transformation for, for me professionally was that I wanted, there was still a lot of work I wanted to do at a bigger scale to have the kind of impact. And while I've been very uh, successful and happy working around uh, digital transformation and the future of work, uh, there were just bigger issues I see around, like, you know, our, our world just doesn't function well. We don't do things well. We don't get along with each other well. And there's so much potential to improve on that. And so I was thinking, how do I actually scale that? And at that same time, the CEO of PA Consulting, Ken Toombs, who I've known for a decade, called me and said, would you consider coming and working for us as a chief research officer? And I went, you know, I'm kind of done with consulting firms. I I was going to go off and do my own thing. And then the more and more I talked with people there, the more I convinced this is not a traditional firm. And just to give an example, one of the, um, I asked people like, what do you want to research on? And one person goes, you know, in all seriousness, we should be thinking about how do we fix capitalism so that it works again? Like it's something went wrong along the way. Capitalism was really good at raising our standard of livings across so many societies. And then over the past 50 years, this focus on shareholder value has really ruined things. So how do we get back to the basics? of how do we make capitalism work again? And I mean, that's a worthy research project. <laughs> so even while I'll still be focusing on digital transformations, one of the things I'm curious about is how do we do sustainability transformation? Because that is the new thing. But how do we create sustainable, not just organizations, but societies? And how do we transform ourselves to not just be more efficient digitally, but also to transform our organizations for truly sustainable uh, for our employees, for our customers, for our communities in a new and different way. How do we operate that way? There's no book written on this. There's no yeah. playbook for this. I'm like, okay, this is this is going to be really interesting. You know, it's interesting. One of the things in your previous book you talked about is moving from business as usual to business as unusual. And you know, you're just talking about it right now in your transformation journey, your personal and professional transformation journey. I think part of this business is unusual. It does expand what your thought process is. So is it more important now for to, to look at not just the economic issues and leadership issues, but also the political issues, the social issues? This really makes the whole idea of leadership, not just corporate leadership on the, on a level, but leadership in, in human life more important because it does, we have a lot of broken parts. And what's interesting, and one, one other question to you on the same front is I've gone through many of the same things that you've gone through. I'm wondering, have you become more evangelical about change and transformation than ever before? Because you, you get, yes. you get almost 
fanatic about it because you realize, oh my gosh, anybody can do this. There's really yeah. no reason that you can't. And but but the 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 challenges are big. Right. The, the reason I wrote the disruption mindset and why I continue to do this work is because I believe that anyone is capable of disruption. If they just see the opportunities and they see themselves as that leader, and you don't need to be in a leadership position to be a leader. A leader is simply somebody who sees change that needs to be done and takes action to make it happen. So I believe in, in training young people, people in elementary school, to be leaders. Because if you think about our education, what does it do? It teaches conformity. Yeah. It teaches everybody to line up in a straight line, do exactly this, get, get straight A's. I mean, that's our definition of success. What if instead we taught our, our children how to be leaders, how to disrupt the status quo? I, I don't think our education system is set up that way, but what if we were to do that and create a generation of leaders? And I do believe that Gen Z is very close to that. This is not a generation that sits on the sidelines. This is a generation that says, everything has been blown up in my face. Everything has been disrupted. So I'm going to be disruptive in this disruptive world. I'm not going to take it sitting down. And we need to foster that. We need to appreciate that. And instead, we tell Gen Z, no, you got to step in line, be exactly like everybody else, treat you like every other generation. And the generational aspects of Gen Z is completely different. The mindset is different even from millennials. They want to be in an organization that sees them as their full selves. They want to be in an organization that has impact, where their work has meaning. And they will keep looking for that until they find it. So us leaders have to appreciate that for what it is, not as a liability, but as a huge, huge asset. You know, it's interesting. I, I may have mentioned this at, in our previous podcast because my son um, was a had had been a team captain in in the sport, and um, he said the most interesting thing at the beginning of his university time and said, "You know, I'm a team captain, but you don't need to be the best. You have to lead by example." and bring people into your line of thinking as to how to succeed. And it was so interesting because I think it's what you just said, you know, we're, we're at a point where we continually grade everybody by everything. We, you know, we, we, we tell people what level they are in sports, how good they are in sports. We talk about how much they've achieved in education, all this, but that doesn't limit your ability to be a leader. And I think that's really important to embrace is that you don't have to be the smartest in the room. In fact, Many times it's better not to be because to let other people bring that to the table is sometimes beneficiary. But but you also don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to have the best education, the best background. And I think we're starting to understand that, you know, you can train yourself on a computer to do what you need to do. But overall, leadership is more of an internal thing than than a paper, than a certificate, than a graduation. Um, you know, are you seeing this as well, that that really the definition of leaders is transforming because of the way we want to be led? Yes. Um, and the, the, the best leaders are the ones who, again, inspire people, don't necessarily have all the right ideas. They're pointing everyone in a direction like, we should go make this change happen. But they're not telling you about this is exactly what to do because they realize they get so much more leverage if they build a movement, a movement of other leaders who then spread also the objective of what we're trying to achieve. I, I look at Black Lives Matters and it's fascinating to me because there's no leadership 
in Black Lives Matters. Right. There were some founders who laid out some tenets, but those tenets became the foundation for a movement. There is no leader to it. And yet it's an incredibly powerful force, whether you agree with the tenets or not. And that's what leaders do. They lay out and say, this is the change we want to create. And then people flock to that because it resonates with them. And they're not the ones at the very front leading the charge. They have all these lieutenants. I I was speaking to um, an interesting leader who says, I walk into a room of my leadership, you know, 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, like 10,000 people in my company. And he goes, I know what I want to accomplish at the end. I know how I'm going to say a certain thing, a provocative question. And I know I'm going to have to use humor to diffuse the tension in the room. I know that these people over here are like really adamant about moving faster. And these people don't want to go fast. So I'm watching carefully of all those dynamics. That's how he's thinking in the room. He's walking into a room knowing that he needs to lead the room and how to bring all these people together with all the different factions, with every single tool that he has in his toolkit. He's walking there prepared to inspire people to pull together towards this one thing. He knows exactly how he's gonna run that meeting. That, to me, is leadership. When they're thinking so clearly about what has to be done, realistically about the challenges that every single person has, in terms of feeling completely bought into a particular story, aware of all the politics and addressing all of them. Because that's the reality of what it takes to lead now. And you talk about understanding economic, social context of everything. Of course you have to understand that. How do people walk into the room? If you're aware of that, then you can lead them. You know, it's interesting. There's an old saying that we, we have that said, you know, as parents, you'd say, do as I say, not as I do. I think what's interesting about this whole transformation, what's going on right now, is, you know, leaders tend to put in the extra effort, tend to show what they expect of others by what they do, as opposed to just what they say. You know, the words, we've we've gotten so used to hollow words, words that don't mean anything. You know, how can organizations today make their, how can leaders today, excuse me, make their organizations more resilient and to move the speed of change by by motivating their their teams. What do you? What is the one major thing you suggest that they do? Listen. Stop talking and listen. We were born with two ears and one mouth, and you should use them in the same proportion. You know that was from Epictetus in eighty AD. I mean, it was it, this is classic leadership. I mean, the fundamentals what makes a great leader have never changed. It's the relationship that you have with people. And you don't have a great relationship if you're doing all the talking. Just look in your personal life, you know? It's those other relationships that you do not want to be in because if somebody's dominating everything, there's no give and take. So listen, um, you know, actually time yourself and say, I'm not going to speak more than three to five minutes in a meeting. Do I enable everyone else around me to be the best that they are able to be? And all I'm doing is just Send the direction. This is our objective. Now, how are we going to get there? And actually leave. Just leave and let them do it. Let them muddle through. A lot of leaders were promoted because they were the best at doing something. So they just kept doing their old job and being a leader. The hardest thing as a leader is to stop doing the job and let other people who are probably better at it than you. So I say to leaders all the time, make a little chart of all the things on your to-do list. Cross off all the things 
that other people can do and circle the things that only you can do. Only you can do. And then put a star next to the ones that you get really excited about. I mean, gravitate towards those first. Make it easy for yourself. But do the things that only you can do. And then clear your calendar, all the things that other people can do. Because you need that time and space to be able to think, to be able to step back away from the business instead of being in the business to work on the business. And you can't do that when you're in the business. So that time and space, the first thing I do when I work with leaders when I'm coaching them is I look at their calendar. I'm like, why are you in back-to-back meetings? I mean, this is, this is not going to be conducive to being you, you being an effective leader because you can't see what's really going on and then be able to plan like that leader I described to you to take the time to think about how am I going to bring all these people together? You have to plan. You have to think about that. That is your job as a leader. And yeah, there are fires left and right, but just deal with them on exception and train your people to be able to do all that work that they're completely capable of doing, that you don't need to be in the room. Just give them complete authority. To do that. So letting go, listening, listen, listening, listen, 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 because when you listen, you realize these people can do the job. I don't need to be in this room. I don't, I don't need to be in this meeting. You got this. You got this. That's tremendous. And they may not feel comfortable with it, right? That is tr- they may not feel comfortable with making the decision yeah. well. And I'm like, you got to teach them to be comfortable with that. That's tremendous. Charlene, thank you so much for being with us. You know, before we let you go, how do people read more about your thinking and what you're going through? Because I'll tell you what, your, your writings are always very motivational. They're inspirational. And, and there's definitely a, a good part of your being within each one. I, I think you get a lot of credit for that, that you can, your personality shows through and it, we've taken too long to get together again. But how do people find out what you're writing and, and get a hold of you? The best way to find me is on LinkedIn, Charlene Lee. Um, and uh, that's where I put everything. Yeah. Everything's on there. So it's easily accessible to everyone. And I hope you will follow me, sign up for my newsletter on there. Um, uh, but I'm on there every week yep. with a license pretty much every week. Uh, and um, would love for people to engage. Love to hear from you. Thank you so much again, Charlene. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please take some time to give our show a five-star rating. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Thea Hasledge, audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, continuous effort, not strength or intelligence, is the key to unlocking our potential. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.